0: Gospel, and he was using that word that was not a cliche, it was radical. He explained what it was and proved that we are justified in the sight of God not by our own actions but by putting faith in Jesus. And uh, he talked about that. Romans chapter 4, he used two examples Abraham and David to show that this was evident even in the old covenant. The old covenant was never the way to salvation. It was given to show you your need for salvation and to condemn you so that you would quit being self-righteous and you'd throw yourself on the mercy of God. And then in Romans chapter five, he talked about it's only through being justified by faith that we have peace with God. That's the only way you can have a good relationship is to quit putting trust in yourself and start putting trust in what Jesus has done for you. And we shared some awesome things in Romans chapter five. But anyway, these first five chapters of the book of Romans has made the point that God loves us unconditionally in spite of our actions, whether we are in sin or not, God loves us. You know, I have been kicked off radio and television. Well, radio stations, I can say for sure, probably some television stations. I can't think of the one at the moment, but I've been kicked off radio stations for saying that. And I have been kicked out of churches and I've had people say that I'm a cult and all kinds of things because I'm saying that God loves people who live in sin. Now I'm not saying that God loves their sin and that God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to stay in sin and he'll help clean you up. But I'm saying that God loves sinners. And when you say stuff like this, one of the questions that always comes up is what Paul says here in Romans chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And in the next verse he says, God forbid, that means absolutely an unqualified. No, that's not what he's saying. But here's a point I want to make that if this question never comes up in the church that you go to, the people that you listen to, if you never think, can I just live in sin because God loves me completely separate from my performance, then you haven't been listening to the same gospel that Paul preached because Paul had to deal with this four times. He dealt with it twice right here in Romans chapter six. And over in the book of Galatians, he had to answer the same thing. Every time Paul taught on grace, people would come up and say, are you just saying that we can live in sin because of the grace of God? And he says, no, that's not what I'm saying. But that is a logical thought. If God isn't punishing your sin, if God is dealing with you by grace and mercy, then why not just go live in sin? He gives two reasons right here in this chapter. And this is profound. I pray that I can deliver this and that you can get it because this will change your life. In verse two, he says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So the first reason that you don't live in sin as a Christian is because you are dead to sin. Now this loses its impact on most people because they actually are more controlled by what they see and experiences than they are by the word of God. So most people have doctrines over here and this is what they believe. And they go to the word trying to verify what they believe. They pick and choose, they cherry pick the things that they want out of scripture. And so because people have had this concept that we all are an old sinner saved by grace, but that we have this sin nature And I tell you, I'm not here to rag on anybody's translation. You know, if you're reading the Bible, man, go for it. So I'm not a King James only guy, but I do believe that many of the modern translations have totally perverted what this chapter is saying because it didn't fit their paradigm. It didn't fit what they wanted to believe. So they've changed it. And all of the way through, it talks about the old sinful nature and stuff. And people believe that every one of us, even born again people have a sinful nature. And now we've got the sin nature. Plus we have the new born again nature. I was actually taught this exact back, this exact example that we are like a person with a white dog and a black dog inside of them. And they hate each other and they're fighting all of the time And whichever one you feed the most wins. And what that is, that's saying that you're schizophrenic, that you've got two natures, that there's part of you that's been born of God and there's part of you that's of the devil. And this is what the average Christian believes. This is saying just the opposite. This says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? His first reason that he gives why Christians don't live in sin is because you are dead to sin. You're dead to it. You know, if a person died right now, you could yell at them, you could shake them, you could do things, but they won't respond to you because they're dead. When you're dead, it means that you are non-responsive. This is saying that you do not have a sin nature. I wish I had more time to go into this. You'll just have to take my word for it or if you get my living commentary or my... uh, Life for today commentary, I go into great detail on footnotes and show you this. But there's like forty-eight times or something that the word uh I'm not gonna try and pronounce this Greek word, but there's something like forty-eight times that it's used, and only one time is that word translated sins plural in the book of Romans. Every other time it's translated sin singular. And when it's talking about sin singular. It's not talking about an action that you do, but it's talking about the sin nature. So when this says that we are dead to sin, this isn't saying that you can't sin, that you can't have sins, plural. It's saying you are dead to that old nature. The old nature is gone. It was crucified with Christ. You do not have a part of you that is part devil if you've been born again. That comes as a total shock to most Christians, but this is what he's saying. Look at verse three. He says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. And again, the word baptism throws some people off because they only think of water baptism. There's entire denominations built on this, but in Hebrews chapter six, it talks about the doctrine of baptisms, plural Jesus said he had a baptism to be baptized with and he wasn't talking about water baptism. This was after John the Baptist had baptized him in water. And then the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. And then it says that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It's easy to tell that those are different baptisms because the Holy Spirit is the agent in one and Jesus is the thing you're being baptized into. But then in the other one, Jesus is the agent and the Holy Spirit is what you're being baptized into. So there's different baptisms. This word, when it says that we have been baptized into Christ, this is talking about what 1 Corinthians 12:13 says, that the moment you get born again, you are immersed is what the word baptism means. Sorry for those of you that think sprinkling is it. It's not. I I mean, who cares, man? Who cares whether you're sprinkled or dunked or just, I think you ought to hold them under until they really repent. Amen. That's the (laughs) way I look at it. But I'm just saying that the word baptize means to immerse. And so we were immersed into Christ. We were put into Christ when you got born again. You were baptized into Christ. And it says in verse three, therefore we are buried with him by baptism in that's verse uh, four, excuse me. We are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father. Even so we also should walk in newness of life. Notice the terminology. We have been baptized into Christ. It is a done deal that like as Christ was raised from the dead, we should walk in newness of life. Our baptism into his death is done, but it's not necessarily gonna manifest itself in your life because you have to know some things. He goes on and says that twice right here in these passages of scripture. But whether you realize it or not, you are dead to that sin nature. You do not have a sin nature. That is a tremendous, tremendous piece of information. And I know some of you, I'm trying to do this orderly. I know that there's a million questions going through your head right now because I've been there and I've thought all of them. And I'm trying to answer these, but just stick with me. Take what the word says. You have been baptized into his death. And then in verse five, it says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, which the previous verse says we were, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this. In other words, the death is done. It happened at salvation, but your resurrection life flowing through you is dependent upon you knowing some things. If you're thinking wrong, you're going to act wrong. You know, it's, this is so simple, but most people don't understand that you cannot believe for things that you don't already know. You know, I got born again when I was eight years old and I never one time believed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues because I never heard of it. And then when I did hear about it, I went, I remember in a training union class They talked something about speaking in tongues and man, I wanted to know what it was. And I, the person teaching the class couldn't answer it. So they sent me to the pastor and the pastor said, oh, that's not for us today. Don't worry about it. And I was only like eight or nine years old. And so I put it aside because I was told that it wasn't for us. And you know what? As long as I never heard what the truth of the word of God was, I never had a desire for speaking in tongues of baptism, Holy Spirit. You can't believe for what you don't know. The first step in faith is knowledge. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have to know things The Christian life doesn't just operate automatically. If it did, every one of us would be just like Jesus. Because in the spirit, you are identical to Jesus. I can prove that. That book on spirit, soul, and body will make that case if you haven't read it. In the spirit, you are identical to Jesus. You're ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule. Identical to him. You have the mind of Christ. You have the faith of Christ. You are perfect Your little spirit is perfect. You're identical to Jesus, but it doesn't automatically translate into a renewed mind and different actions because it all depends on what you think. And we have been taught wrong. We think wrong. And unless you know this, then the resurrection life that lives on the inside of you will not come out. So that's what he's saying. He says, we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, but we will be like him in resurrection if we know this. So this is really important. Look at what you have to know in verse six. Here it says, you have to know this, that your old man is crucified with him. When you crucify someone or something, it dies. This is the same thing that was said in earlier verses that you are dead to sin the sin nature does not exist in you anymore. It is dead. It's gone. And you got to know that if you don't know that, you know what will happen. You'll resist sin. You'll resist things to a degree, to a point. And if the temptation just keeps knocking, if the desire is still there, then you'll just say, well, that's who I am. I'm an old sinner saved by grace And that's how you see yourself. You see yourself as a failure and you will go out and eventually fail because after all, that's who you are. You need to recognize that you've been changed, that you are a brand new person. And in the spirit, there is no sin nature anymore. You are wall to wall, Holy Ghost. You have Jesus living inside of you. The same power that raised him from the dead is on the inside of you. First John chapter four, verse 17 says, as Jesus is so are we in this world. It didn't say, so are we going to be in the next world? So are we in this world? That's not talking about your actions. That's not talking about your mind. There's other scriptures that say we only know in part and we only prophesy in part. None of our minds are identical to Jesus. None of our bodies act exactly like Jesus, but in the spirit, you are identical to Jesus because it's the spirit of his son that was sent into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, Galatians chapter four. It says in Romans chapter eight, verse nine, that if you don't have the spirit of Christ, then you aren't his. So a person who says, well, I don't think that's true of me, then you aren't born again if you're born again, you do have the spirit of Christ. You are identical to Jesus, but we still see ourselves as an old sinner. And because of that, we wind up acting like an old sinner until you see yourself trained, changed, transformed on the inside. You won't see it happen on the outside. You've got to see it on the inside before you see it happen on the outside. And most of us see ourselves as a failure. You know, Greg was teaching this morning about the wisdom of God. And most people go around saying things like, well, further along, we'll know all about it. I just don't know. And things like this. And Greg was trying to bring out that we now have the wisdom of God. I could give you a dozen scriptures right now that you're a new man has been renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 20, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. All things. All things. Not some things, all things. And people look at that and think, man, I can't even find my keys. I can't even find my glasses and they're on top of my head. And so because your experience doesn't match up with the word, then you just say, well, the Bible is so hard to understand. It's not talking about your little brain up here. You've got the mind of Christ in your spirit. You do have the wisdom of God. And most people don't draw the wisdom out because they just see themselves as a physical, natural human being. They don't know that there's a part of you that has been completely renovated, completely transformed. You don't know that you have the mind to Christ. You don't know that you've got all wisdom and knowledge. And so we just go through life, bumping into problems, falling over things, falling into the traps of the devil, because after all, we're only human and Further along, we'll know all about it. But right now, we just can't know the things of God. You got to see yourself in Christ and realize that in Jesus, you've got everything. It's not a matter of getting God to do something new for you. It's a matter of renewing your mind and releasing what's already been placed on the inside of you. You got to know some things. You got to know that your old man is dead. The real you, the spirit being is completely brand new. And you need to quit living as a physical man or a woman. You are a spirit and you have a soul and you live in a body, but the spirit is the real you. It says in James 2, 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. The spirit is the life-giving part. God breathed into man the breath of life and that's what gave life to us. Your spirit is the real you. And your spirit has been totally transformed. Your old dead sin nature was taken out and you have a brand new nature on the inside of you that is the nature of Christ. You're identical to Him in your understanding, in your ability. You've already got the faith of Christ on the inside of you. I got a whole teaching. I got an hour and a half teaching on that, proving that from scripture. You've already got everything that Jesus is as Jesus is. That's exactly the way that your spirit is. And there isn't part devil mixed in with it. You are wall to wall, Holy ghost. You are pure in your spirit. And if you saw that it would change the way you act. It would change the way you talk. You would change what you expect. But see, most Christians go through life. Well, after all, I'm only human. I'm just a man, and that the doctor says this is cancer, and so you approach it as a human. You are part human. You do have a physical body, but you have the supernatural raising from the dead power of Jesus living on the inside of you. And if you would start seeing yourself that way, you would look at cancer and say, "Well." bless those little doctor's hearts. They're doing the best they can do with their limited understanding, but they just don't know who I am. They don't know what I have. And you'd be able to laugh at cancer. You'd be able to laugh at ALS or at anything else. It's no big deal. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But most of us don't have that vision of ourself. You see yourself inadequate. And so after a while, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You give into sickness, you give into poverty, you give into depression, you give into worry, you give into fear, because after all, you're only human. That's wrong. You aren't only human. One third of you is saved. One third of you is totally transformed. And you've got to know this or you will never manifest that resurrection life. You do not have an old sinful man that is driving you to sin. Amen. Somebody says, well, all right, I can see what you're saying, but man, I got something inside of me that's driving me to sin. What is it? It goes on to say, it says, you've got to know that your old man is crucified with him. The next thing that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth you should not serve sin. Your old man is gone, but just like a physical person, if I was to die right now, you know, the Bible says as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. If my spirit was to leave my body right now, when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, father into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost and he died. When the spirit exits the body, you're dead. But Does that mean that you just all of a sudden cease to exist? Your body is still here. And did you know your body can still function for a brief period of time? I actually had a friend who was doing an autopsy on a man in Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Texas. And he was a brand new intern. And he pulled his body out, put it on a table, turned around to get his instruments. And when he turned back around, this man was sitting up And his eyes were open and his arms were dangling at his side like that with his mouth open. And my friend said he nearly jumped out the 13th story window. He went screaming down the hall and they got the doctors and came in and they checked him over and he was dead. But there are still electrical impulses. That's what makes your muscles contract. And his muscles just contracted and he sat up. His body moved after it was dead. And it made him think that that person was alive, but they weren't. They were dead. I actually went in. Uh, they asked me to come over and pray for a woman one time. And I walked in and I walked to the door and the husband stuck his head around the corner. He was on the phone and he told us to come on in. So we went in and she was sitting in a, a chair and we were waiting on him to get through. And she had her eyes closed. We thought she was asleep and we just stood there and, uh, you know, waited and he was on the phone for five minutes or something. And he came around the corner and I said, so, uh, how's your wife? And he says, well, she's not very good. And I said, what does that mean? And he says, well, it's really crazy. And he just started saying things. And I said, is she breathing? And he said, no, it's been two or three hours since she breathed. And this woman was dead and I never knew it. I thought she was asleep. Man, that's quite a story. I could tell you about that one. That was a wild one. But anyway, My point is that when you die, you leave behind the body. And you know what? When your old man died and he's gone, he left behind the body. You know what that body is? It's an unrenewed mind. Your old man taught you your values. Your sinful nature drove you towards sin. It made you selfish. You know, I could just talk about all of the wrong things that are inside of us and and stuff, but they all came because at one time we were born with a sinful nature. I mentioned this briefly this morning, but little kids, you don't have to teach them to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to go over and take a toy from their brother or sister. You don't have to teach them to sit there and just throw a fit and want their own way. You know, it's just inbred into us. It's our sinful nature. It teaches you that everything is about you. The whole world revolves around you. Most people think it only takes them to screw in a light bulb. All I got to do is stand there and hold it and the world revolves around them. <laughs> That's the way that our sinful nature taught us. It taught us to lust. It taught us to lust for sexual things that are ungodly. It taught us to be covetous and just think about yourself. That's the body that sin left behind. And it's an unrenewed mind that causes you to have these desires. We're similar to a computer. You can program a computer and you can leave it and somebody else can come in. And did you know that computer will still function the way it was programmed until it's reprogrammed? You were taught to be selfish. You were taught that it's all about you. You were taught about stab the other person in the back. You were taught to lust. You were taught that, you know, stolen waters are sweet is what the scripture says. People think that illicit sexual things are better than having a, a, your mate that you've made a commitment to. You were taught all of these things by your sinful, corrupted nature. Man, I could just spend, stay on this all night long. Ephesians chapter two talks about that the spirit of this world that works in the children of disobedience, that we were by nature, the children of wrath, even as others, you were born that way and your, your mind has been programmed. And I tell you what, it did a major change in my life when I realized that no longer was there something in me that drove me to be bad the way that I had not, you know, I didn't go out and do the big sins, the big 10 that people talk about and stuff like that. But you know, just my selfishness and my insecurity and my fear and my, you know, just all of these different things that I had, there was nothing that made me be that way. See, there's some people that they just think, well, I'm shy. I'm timid. I'm selfish. I'm a type a personality. I'm a dominant person. I'm just abrupt. I'm abrasive. This is my nature. That's not your nature. Your sinful nature might have programmed you that way, but you can change the programming. Your nature has been changed and you are identical to Jesus in your nature. If you aren't expressing that identity that is like Jesus, it's because you haven't renewed your mind. It's not because your nature compels you to do it. If you've been a mean, angry person your whole life, change. And some people, I can't because that's just my nature. My whole family's been this way. See, you're deceived. And as long as you think that way, you will continue to act like a mean, angry, selfish person. But when you find out who you are in Christ, and if you could understand that your old nature that drove you and programmed you is gone, and the only reason that you still have these tendencies and function that way is because you were programmed wrong. You got to change your thinking Romans chapter 12, verse two says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The word transforms metamorpho. It's a word we get metamorphosis from describing a little worm spinning a cocoon and then coming out briefly. And it's a butterfly. If you want to change from a worm to a butterfly, if you want transformation, it comes by the renewing of your mind. It's not your spirit. People will say, I'm trying to get the word down into my spirit. Your spirit doesn't need it. Your spirit's perfect. Your spirit's got the mind of Christ. Your spirit knows all things, has an unction from the Holy one. Your little spirit's perfect. It's your brain. that's the problem. Your problem's right between your ears. That's why it's so important to teach people these things. It's why it's so important for you to recognize you are no longer part devil. The only reason you still lust, the only reason you still have a temper, the only reason you still do these things is because you haven't renewed your mind. You don't know that you're dead to that. And so you feel trapped and you're waiting on Jesus to come. And when you all get to heaven, then you're going to be changed. Your spirit is already completely changed right now. When we get to heaven, then we'll know all things even as also we are known and we'll get a glorified body And so that's going to be awesome, but to the degree that you can renew your mind, you can release the perfection and the life and the victory that's in your spirit right now. It's just dependent upon you knowing some things. You've got to quit identifying with the devil and quit saying that that is your nature and that this is the way you have to be. You do not have to be that way. You know, Kenneth Hagin got born again and he said if he ever had a natural gift and talent. It was picking locks. He said he never saw a lock that he couldn't pick. And when he and all of his friends wanted to burglarize and steal something, he's the one that always picked the locks. They always got him. And he got born again and his friends in just a day or two came and wanted him to come pick a lock. And he said, I can't do it. They said, what do you mean you can't do it? We've never seen a lock you couldn't pick. And he says, I'm a new person. He says, that's not me anymore. I can't do it. That's not me. It's not that, oh, I want to do it and I can do it, but I'm going to not do it. I'm going to resist. No, he saw himself changed. He knew he became a new person and he lost his ability to pick the locks. It's not always that dramatic that people see this, but I'm telling you in the spirit realm, you are a totally changed person. And the only reason you still have the hangups that you have is because you have not renewed your mind. This is why renewing of the mind is so important. And there's other ways that you can do it besides Bible college, but I don't know a better way to do it than Bible college. I didn't go to Bible college. I went through the school of hard knocks. And you know what? If you live through it, it makes an awesome testimony. I got great testimonies. I got stories upon stories about how I've learned things through the school of hard knocks, but I believe there's a better way. And that's to learn by somebody else, amen, at my expense instead of you having to learn it. You've got to renew your mind. And again, most of us have a mistaken identity. We still think that we're an old sinner saved by grace, but I got saved by grace and now I am the righteousness of God. And the only thing that's holding me back is I haven't renewed my mind. I don't think the way that I should. And I've been at it now for 40 years. I've changed a lot in my thinking and yet I'm still having to change the way I think. I'm still having to deal with things. We have just fallen so far. We've been so corrupted in the natural that I don't know that anybody, even the apostle Paul said, I haven't obtained. It's not like I've obtained. I'm just pressing towards the mark. So Paul hadn't obtained. I don't think anybody ever obtains in this life. You're constantly in the process of renewing your mind. But I'm telling you to the degree that I've renewed my mind. I have seen awesome miracles happen outside. I've seen people raised from the dead. I've seen miracles happen. I've seen things happen in me. God has changed me. Just me standing in front of you tonight, you don't understand it, but I do. It's a miracle. I used to not even be able to look at a person in the face and talk to them. I'd just get tongue-tied. I couldn't talk now. I talk to millions and millions of people. It's changed my life. I'm telling you, I, yeah, I'm a brand new person on the inside and so are you. It's just that most of us don't know what we've got yet. And so we spend time begging God to give us the anointing which the Bible says, which the anointing that you have received abides within you and you need not that any man teach you. First, first John chapter 2, verse 27. We say, well, I just can't remember things. John chapter 14, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, when he has come, will teach you all things and lead you uh, into all truth and bring to your remembrance whatsoever. I've spoken unto you for you to sit there and say, I just can't remember. You are operating as a mere human being instead of the person who has the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit will quicken things to you. And so you believe that. And if that's what you believe, and if you don't expect anything different, you won't get it. Faith is based on your knowledge. And if you think you can't do it, you won't do it. But you got to believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you got to know this, that your old man is crucified with him. And if you know that, then you can can change this thinking in the body of sin. The unrenewed mind that was left behind can be changed. It can be destroyed. The results of that is that you henceforth will not serve sin. The word serve here is the word for be a slave to sin. Nothing makes you serve Satan anymore. At one time you were a, a slave to sin because it was your nature. You were born in sin. But now you've been born again, and nothing makes you serve the devil. There is nothing that makes you fail, except an unrenewed mind because you've believed a lie someplace. And I know a lot of people struggle with what I'm saying here, and, you say, and I've had people come up before and say, well, now you're saying that like sickness, that somehow or another I believe for this or I thought for this, and they say, man, I never even thought of myself getting cancer. I never saw it coming. I didn't think this. I didn't make it come to pass by the way I was thinking. You may not have sat there and have thought, I'm going to die of cancer or I'm going to get cancer, but you thought things that made you susceptible to cancer, such as I'm only human, and you're just no different than anybody else, and if cancer hits, then then what can you do about it? Because you see yourself as only human. You see yourself as limited. You know, John G. Lake is a man who had a revelation of who he was and the authority and a lot of things. But anyway, he had this revelation and he said, no germ can touch my body and live. And he said that based on Psalms chapter 91, where it says, no plague will come nigh your dwelling. And so he believed that. And one time he was helping with people who were dying of this plague and there were medical doctors around and he was given a medical doctor by Spokane, Washington because he saw more people healed than the doctors did. They actually closed down one of the three hospitals in Spokane because of his ministry. And so he was given a medical license. So he was helping these doctors that were helping people. A man just died, foamed at the mouth and the doctor looked over at John Lake and said, aren't you glad we got an an inoculation against this? And John Lake said, who's got an inoculation? And this doctor just freaked. Like you can't be working around these people. If you don't, if you haven't been vaccinated against this, you'll die. And John Lake told him, said, no germ can touch my body and live. And of course this doctor just discounted it like, you know, you're one of these fanatics. And he says, I'll prove it to you. And he had him take one of these slides that you put under a microscope and they wiped the saliva off of this man's mouth that had just died. And they put it under the microscope and you could see all of these germs just moving all over the place. And he said, watch this. And he just touched his finger to that. And instantly everything was totally still. And some of you think, well, boy, he had an anointing. No, he had exactly the same thing that you and I have got. The difference is he had a renewed mind that believed that he had this power and that no sickness could touch his body and live. That's the only difference. See, we've made adjustments to try and cope with things. And we see somebody who's walking in victory and we think, well, boy, they're just anointed. God's done something special for them. They have something that I don't have. And that way we can still go through life. And when tragedy hits and when failure comes and when we don't see something happen, we just say, well, after all, I'm only human. You know, you go to believing that you've got your old nature gone and that you are wall to wall Holy Ghost and you have the same power on the inside of you that raised Christ from the dead, You know what? It's going to make you uncomfortable because you can't accept things the way you used to. You can't just stumble through life and say, well, after all, I'm only human. I I don't know what to do. Man, it puts some responsibility on you. If you've got this life of God on the inside of you, then you need to go to renewing your mind and figure out how to get it out. And a lot of people don't want that. They would rather just lay on their couch and watch as the stomach turns And if they get sick, run to somebody else and want them to heal them rather than take responsibility for renewing your mind and getting over this. But this is critical right here. Look in the next verse in verse seven, for he that is dead, this is talking about dead to that sin nature, whoever's been born again, baptized into the death of Christ, and you no longer have this sin nature. You are freed from sin. Notice it didn't say you are free from sin. It said, you are freed. There's a difference between being freed and being free. You know, the slaves were freed in the United States by the Emancipation Proclamation. But there are documented cases that the slave owners kept their slaves in the dark and didn't tell them about it because they didn't want to lose their slaves. And these slaves had been freed, but they didn't know it. And so they willfully stayed there because they thought they'd be breaking the law, that they'd be punished and on and on. And they didn't realize that they had been freed. They were still living in slavery, although they had been freed. I used to go into the jails and I use this as an example with the people. I said, you know, Jesus has set you free. And they said, well, then why is all this happening? I said, it's the same as if I was to walk in and tell you that you're free to go. But you know what? They've been put in there and what would happen if they got, what if they just laid there on their bunk and said, oh man, I'm free. But they never did anything. They could still be in jail. They could rot in jail. They could die in jail. Or what would happen if they thought, are you kidding me? What happens if I all of a sudden walk out of this cell and a guard sees me, they could shoot me or they could do something else. And because of their mindset, you could free a prisoner and they could still not be free. You have to believe it. You have to get up and act on it. And most of us have not believed and understood that we have been freed. And there is nothing that makes you fail anymore except the fact that we have not renewed our mind. We still think like an old person. We still expect failure. We still see ourselves inadequate. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You have been freed, but that doesn't mean you are freed. And some people have seen little glimmers of what I'm talking about. And they'll say, well, I know I did die with Christ, but man, I resurrect every morning. <laughs> and they impute resurrection power to the old man. The scripture doesn't teach that. Look at these verses in verse eight. It says, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him Knowing that Christ here again, you got to know this in order to experience this resurrection life. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more death, hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died, uh, in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. This is saying that this is not something you have to do over and over and over and over I was taught that you had to die to yourself every day. And people will take the scripture, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul said, I die daily. And they say that you have to die to yourself daily. I was actually taught this and I had a man give an example and I would literally get up in the morning and I would sit in my chair and imagine that I was in an electric chair and that I was dying to myself. And I would strap myself in and say, oh, anger gossip, jealousy, lying, whatever, and I would mention all of my sins thinking that I was dying to myself. All I was doing was resurrecting all of this junk in me and focused on everything bad. The way you overcome yourself, not your sin nature, but your unrenewed mind and your selfish part is by quit focusing on it and instead focus on who you are. If you ever see yourself alive in Christ and that God, I'm exactly like Jesus, you'll start acting like him. If you really believe that you were like Jesus, that you could go lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Once you get past just the shock of it and you go to believing it, I guarantee you, you'll go to laying hands on somebody. It'll go to If you really believe you've got that power, you'd do it. If you really believe that you, Jesus became poor so that you could be rich. And if you really believe it, you would be rich. You would begin to prosper but see, we see these things and think, well, I see what he said, but that's not who I am. You don't know who you are. You're a brand new person. You got to know that Jesus died unto sin once, but he does not die unto sin again. He did it one time. When Paul said that he died daily, that wasn't Paul talking about crucifying his old sin nature. If you take it in context, I've mentioned this at least three times during this meeting. If you look at it in context, the verse is right in front. He was talked about the resurrection. And he says, if there is no resurrection, which there were some people saying that there is no resurrection, and he was just reasoning with them. If there is no resurrection, then why are we suffering all of this? He says, Man, I fought with beast at Ephesus. I've had this happen. And then he says, I died daily. That isn't saying he was dying to his old sin nature. He was saying he's facing death on a daily basis. He was being beaten. He had been stoned and left for dead. He was put in prison. He faced death on a daily basis. Why do it if there is no resurrection? See, that's been taken totally out of context because people believe something and they wanted to find a scripture to try and justify it. There isn't any scripture that talks about you have to die daily. This says Christ died unto sin one time. And that's the way that you should be. In the 11th verse, it says, likewise, the word likewise means in the same way, in the same way that Jesus died unto sin once, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed in truth unto sin, singular, the sin nature but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Some people let sin just dominate them because after all, I am a sinner. I've been a pervert. I've been a liar, a thief my whole life. It's just who I am. And they see themselves that way and they just see themselves a reformed whatever. They see themselves, they're they're just controlling it, but they see their nature. They still believe that's who they are. And if you believe that's who you are, it's just a matter of time until you act on what you believe. See, I'll get in trouble. I get in trouble every time I say this. So just keep your criticism to yourself. I've already heard it. But this is why I'm against the 12 step programs. I'm aware that there's people help through that. There's people probably right here that you got set free from alcohol or drug addiction through a 12 step program. I understand that they work, but what I disagree with, they will stand up there and say, I am an alcoholic. I've been an alcoholic for 20 years. I've been sober for two years, but they may not use this terminology, but at their core, they believe they're still a drunk And they're just one drink away from being a drunk again. And you know what? That's wrong. That may be right for a person that doesn't know the Lord, but when you get born again, you might have been an alcoholic, but now you are totally delivered from that. You're a brand new person. You're identical to Jesus. You do not have to be dependent upon alcohol or drugs, and you can renew your mind. David Hardesty down here was, I don't know if he would call himself an alcoholic, but he was a functioning alcoholic. And when he got born again, God changed his nature. And today David can't stand alcohol and stuff like that. He wonders how he ever did it. He's not an old drunk that's just been managing it for 20 years or whatever. He's totally changed. You would look at David Hardesty and never believe that he was a drunk. But he was. But that's not who he is now. He's a brand new person. And he doesn't have to sit there and white knuckle it. We've been over in England together when everybody else at the table's drinking booze. And they offer it, and David doesn't have to sit there and say, Oh, Jesus, help me not to drink this. <laughs> David could drink a you know, uh, drink if he wanted to, and I believe he'd still be free. See, he's been changed. There's a difference between a person who used to be an alcoholic, but man, you've been changing and you're free. There's a difference between that and a person who is still an alcoholic, but just been dry for five years. There's a difference. One is still tormented. One every day has to get up and fight all of the lust. The other has renewed their mind, found out that they're a changed person and praise God they're different. We should reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin the same way that Jesus is dead unto sin. Do you think Jesus is in heaven saying, oh, I hope I don't die again today. (laughs) And he died one time. He bore our sins one time and it's over. And man, he is reigning victorious. And I guarantee you, Jesus does not have the attitude of a person who is struggling with sin. He has overcome sin. And this is saying that that's the way that we should be. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. There is nothing forcing you to fail. Sin, you know, many times people think about this only as adultery or something terrible, but failure is sin. God didn't make us to fail. It's a result of sin. And God didn't make you to fail. You can be victorious in every area of your life. Don't let it happen. If he gives you the command and says, let not sin reign in your mortal body, that's because you have the power to keep it from reigning. And yet the average Christian thinks, I don't have the power. You know, there is no way I'm going to get to Romans chapter 7 tonight, but maybe tomorrow morning or sometime... I'm going to try and deal with this. And they say, well, the good that I want to do, I can't do. The bad that I don't want to do, I wind up doing. Even Paul was still struggling with his old sin nature. That's not what that's saying. I'm going to explain that if I can talk fast enough to get there. It's in the next chapter and it's in conjunction with what he's saying right here. He is not violating what he just said in this chapter. You are dead unto sin. And the same way that Jesus died unto sin once, that's the way you need to see yourself. That I'll not live that way anymore. When I pray for people for healing, this is one of the big hindrances to healing is because people have been sick for 10, 20, 30 years and they see themselves sick. They dream sick. They plan sick. There's certain things that they will not even consider. They won't do because it would make their allergies act up. It would cause their sickness. It would, they might have an accident in public or something, and they just think this way. They see themselves as a sick person, and that's hard to get that person healed. Not because the physical problem is hard. There isn't any variance in physical problems. The same power that heals a cold heals cancer. It doesn't take more anointing to heal one thing than the other, but cancer has fear associated with it in things that hinder people from receiving. And when people have been sick a long time, they, they just it's worked into their whole psychology. It's the way they think. They see themselves that way. This is why Jesus asked the father of the lunatic boy, how long has it been since he was like this in Mark chapter 9? Why did Jesus ask that? Because when somebody's had something a long time, the sickness isn't only in their body, it's in their mind. It's in their thinking. It's in their heart. You know, I've prayed for a lot of people here during this conference. And if you would pay attention, I'll pray and I'll rebuke the devil and I'll command healing. And then I'll pray that God will heal your heart and heal your mind so that you don't think this way anymore, that you don't plan this way, that you don't go to bed at night expecting to have a problem that you start thinking like a normal well person does. But see, people think that way and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And likewise, if you see yourself as a failure, if you see yourself as inferior, you you won't see yourself going out and raising the dead. There's some of you that don't think you have that power. You think God gave me a supernatural power or something that you don't have. And you've never seen yourself doing that. And because of it, you wouldn't pray for the dead because you don't want to face failure. You don't see yourself doing it. And you got to reckon that you are dead and not let sin, not only homosexual, adultery, lying, stealing, but failure and fear and stuff. All of those things are a result of sin. Don't let that reign in your mortal body. You have control over it. The devil can't do anything to you. He can't make you do anything without your consent and cooperation. If Satan is ruling in your mortal body, you're cooperating. You may not do it well, well, knowingly. You may not be sitting there saying, well, I want my marriage to fail. But you're thinking things that have established values and actions on the inside of you that cause your marriage to fail. You're living the way that your parents did you're living selfishly, you're neglecting the other person or whatever. And these are all thoughts and they're things that you're doing. That's allowing Satan to do that to you, man. If you were walking in the love of God, if you were loving your mate, the way that Christ loved the church, you can't guarantee it's going to work because it takes two people to make a marriage work. But I guarantee you 90% of the time, if if you treated your wife, like a queen, she'd treat you like a king and vice versa. But see, we think in ways that cause us to be selfish and neglect other people, to say things that we shouldn't say, etc. And with your cooperation, Satan is the one that's destroying the marriage and doing these kind of things. I'm preaching better than you're listening. In verse 13, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. You aren't dead to sin. You aren't dead in sin anymore. Now you are dead to sin. You need to live like a person who's alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin, singular, Shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, this has an application to say that sins, actions of sins, will not dominate you if you aren't under the law, but under grace. But technically, this is talking about that sin nature cannot have dominion over you, for you aren't under the law. The law was made for a person who was not righteous. It's made for a lost man. You aren't lost anymore. So you don't have a sin nature. You aren't under that anymore. You've been resurrected with Christ. And the only reason that we aren't manifesting more of the life of God is because of stinking thinking. It's right here between our ears. And we haven't renewed our mind and we're still seeing ourselves the way that we were programmed to think by the old man. And in verse 15, what then... What shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? This is the second time in this chapter he asked that question. Can we just live in sin because we aren't under the law? He gives a second reason right here in verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants. ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. The first reason that He gave for not living in sin is because you are dead to sin. Your nature is changed. And if you are truly born again, you don't want to live in sin. Amen. And again, some of you are thinking, well, I kind of like some sin. <laughs> and yet I know I'm born again. It's just because you haven't renewed your mind. If you're truly born again, your sin nature is gone and your nature is to live for God. Another scripture that goes along with that is 1 John chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Verse 2 said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And verse 3 says, Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself. Even as he is pure, if you are truly born again and, and know and if you have any of this hope of being like Jesus, then you seek to purify yourself. You may be doing a terrible job of it because the law actually reveals and activates sin. So there are Christians who still live in sin out of guilt and condemnation and stuff like that. But if you are born again, you want to live for God. Matter of fact, this is one of the ways you can tell you're born again. Because you used to live in sin. You might still live in sin now, but now you feel bad about it. Whereas before you'd seared your conscience and you were enjoying it. Now it it bothers you that you live in sin. That's one of the signs. If you are truly born again, you are dead to sin. Your inner man wants to live for God, but it's got to know some things to break the dominance of that sin. The second reason is that if you yield to sin, you yield to the person who's inspired that sin, which is the devil. And he comes only, John ten ten, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan is out to destroy your life. And if you go live in sin, God's not gonna judge you and reject you for it, but you are opening up a door to the devil that's gonna destroy your life. You know, I was talking with Pastor Darian Karen about a mutual friend who is out drinking and doing things. And Karen said she was telling them that God loves you. God's not mad at you. They're born again. God loves you. And it's not that he's going to reject you, but there are consequences to your sin. And if you continue to drink, you're either going to have cirrhosis of the liver, you're going to do damage to your body, or you could have a car wreck and kill yourself or kill somebody else. And there would be terrible things happen. It's, and see, some religious people say that if you're in sin, you're going to have a car wreck, somebody's going to die, and they are implying that it's God going to judge you. I'm saying, no, God's not going to judge you. God loves you if you're drunk. He loves you just as much if you are drunk as if you were sober. Being sober does not make God love you more. Being drunk does not make God love you less. God's love is unconditional. He loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. But does that mean that, you, well, let's just go live in sin? No, because if you do that, you are giving Satan inroad into your life. He's going to kill you. He's going to hurt your body or it's going to cause somebody else to die. Or you could you know, uh, get DUIs and lose your license. You could go to jail. You could do all kinds of things. There's consequences to actions. So the second reason you live holy, first of all, it's not your nature to live in sin. And if you just knew who you were, man, anybody would choose to live like Jesus instead of living like a lost man. But the second reason I live holy is because I don't want to give Satan inroad into my life. You know, I could go out and commit adultery now and God would still love me. And the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty nine that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. I know some of you, this is really messing with your religious mind. Some of you are thinking, no, you'd go straight to hell. I wouldn't. God loves me and I would still be saved. And I'd still be called into the ministry. I could name some names right now of people who've had sexual sins and it's become public and they have suffered tremendous embarrassment, but you know what? They're still preaching. And guess what? People still get born again and people still get baptized in the Holy Spirit and healed. God uses them to the degree that he can. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Somebody say, I don't believe God had used somebody with sin in their life. Well, that's the reason you aren't being used. (laughs) I'm telling you, God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. I don't deserve God using me. You know, I came in here tonight and I got things that I could be sitting there and looking at and thinking, man, you need to be doing so much better. But you know, I just stand in the grace of God. I pray for people in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Andrew Womack. I get it through what Jesus did, not through what I do. God doesn't use me because I'm holy. He uses me in spite of me, not because of me. And for you, you sit there and think, well, if you lived in adultery, God would never use you again. That's not true. I can show you people who've lived in adultery and God still uses them, but they're just a shadow of what they used to be because they've lost credibility with men. Satan has shamed them and there's consequences. If I was to do something like that, man, I would suffer. I would suffer, first of all, in my own emotions. I'd suffer seeing what happened to Jamie. I'd suffer thinking about God. I didn't represent you right. There would be consequences to it. But you know what? I could still minister and God would still love me and he would use me to a degree. I'm not sure that he would promote me to the position that I'm in right now because he doesn't want somebody, uh, you know, being a role model and putting things like that out in front of people. It might diminish my ministry. It'd be consequences. But I'm saying that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God would still love me, but it's just stupid. It's just stupid. Why in the world would I go live like that, knowing that I'm going to give Satan an inroad, he's going to condemn me and I'm going to have all kinds of problems. I'm going to offend people. I would hurt people. I know people today that quit the Lord and quit the church because somebody didn't represent Jesus right. Now that's totally wrong thinking. I've told people before, I said, hey, that person that offended you, he didn't have nail prints in his hands. He didn't die for you. Why do you get mad at Jesus for what one of his people do? but I can show you people today that have renounced their faith in the Lord. Don't go to church. Don't do things because what other people did. I don't want to do that. I want to be a good witness. I don't want to give Satan inroad into my life. So I live holy because I know that Satan is going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And all I need to do is give him an opportunity against me. And I guarantee you, he will take it. One thing you can say about the devil is he's persistent. And if you give him an opportunity, he will come in and destroy your life. Steal, kill, and to destroy. So that's another reason that I don't live in sin. is because it's stupid. And it gives inroad into the devil. I can even give a third uh, reason that's not listed right here, but I believe it is a scriptural uh, principle. And that is your witness is destroyed. Here I am telling you about how you can be free and how you can walk in victory. And yet I myself am a slave to sin and lust or alcoholism or, or pornography or something is dominating me. I can't set another person free until I got free. Only a free person can set another person free. So it hurts your witness. So these are three great reasons why I live holy. But you know what? I do not do it to impress God. God is not impressed with my holiness. Let me use one last verse. I'm, I'm, uh, as Greg says, the uh, airport's in sight. Look over here in Hebrews chapter 12. Let me use this last verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. People have taken this verse. I've always had this verse taught that if you aren't holy, you can't see God. You can't have a relationship with God. God won't use you without holiness. Again, look at the context. This is the fourth time I've said this during these conferences. Look at this right here in Hebrews chapter 12. He's been talking about chastening that it's not pleasant, but God chastens those he loves not with sickness, not with poverty, but he chastens us with the word and he convicts us and stuff. And uh, so he's talking about in verse 12, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. The verses in front and the verses after are all talking about your witness to other people. Lift up the holy hands, encourage, I mean the feeble hands, encourage them. And then it says, follow peace, with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. This isn't talking about that if you aren't holy in yourself, that you can't relate to the Lord, that God won't have anything to do with you. It's saying, if you don't walk in holiness, how are other people going to see the Lord in you? That's what it's talking about. This isn't talking about your personal relationship. This isn't saying that your holiness or your relationship with God is dependent upon your holiness, but your witness is dependent upon holiness. How are other people gonna see the Lord if you aren't living holy? That's what the verses in front we're talking about. And then the next verse takes up by saying, looking diligently lest any man fail. In other words, be conscious of other people. Be aware that your witness affects other people. Amen. Again, see people have these mindset and they just go and pick a scripture out and don't ever look at the context of it. But I'm telling you that God, when you got born again, took this old nature out of you. You are a totally brand new person. And if we ever renewed our mind, if you got a glimpse of that, you would live holier accidentally than you've ever lived on purpose before you would live holy because man, you see yourself clean and pure. You know, you can take a pig and wash it and put perfume on it and tape a bow on its head, paint its toenails. But if you let it go, it'll go into a pigsty because it's a pig. That's its nature. But if somehow or another, you could give that pig the nature of a cat, you know how cats always cleaning themselves and preening themselves, and they don't they just hate being dirty. If you could change the nature of that pig, even if it looked like a pig on the outside, if its nature was changed, it wouldn't go wallow in the dirt because its nature was changed. You know I have friends that keep dogs in the house, which we don't keep our we never we don't have any dogs right now, but we didn't keep our dogs in the house. I'm not against anybody who does, but I just told Jamie, they, they'd stay outside in Colorado in the winter. And if it gets real cold, we had a good doghouse with a light and we'd let them in into a tiled portion or something. But anyway, it's just my thing. I don't want my house run over by a dog. Now, some people have these little dogs that are pretty clean and they don't shed and they, it's just like one of the members of the family. And I've been over there and I've seen them and they, they just treat this dog as if it's one of their kids but I can guarantee you that dog will come right up and sniff you in places that you should not be sniffed. <laughs> that dog will lick itself in places that it shouldn't do in public. And they get so embarrassed and say, oh, quit that. And I always say, it's the dog in them. You can clean them up. You can paint their toenails. You can give a fancy cut to them and put a bow in their hair and they can be, you know, semi-civilized. But you know what? They're still a dog. It's the nature of that animal to go up and stick their nose right in your crotch. That's just what, that's just what dogs do. And you may not like it and it may embarrass you, but why are you embarrassed? It's a dog. That's what dogs do. And you know what? If you see yourself an old sinner, you wind up living like a sinner because that's the way sinners live. But if you could see yourself that I'm changed, I'm a new person, you'd wind up living differently. You wouldn't do that stuff anymore because that's not me. I've been changed. I've been born again. Man, that's awesome. You need to quit seeing yourself as a sinner. You know, I don't get as excited as Arthur. This is as excited as I ever get. I have to tell people when I'm excited, but I'm really excited. This excites me to find out that I've been changed. I'm not the same person anymore. And now as quickly as I can renew my mind and see who I am in Christ, I can raise the dead. I can open blind eyes. I can walk in victory. I can overcome my timidness and shyness and selfishness. I can overcome anything. If I can figure out what the Word of God says about me and see that in me, I can be it. There is not part of me any longer that keeps me from being like God. I am exactly like God in my spirit. And as quickly as I can renew my mind to it, I'm, I'm seeing and experiencing those things. Amen. That's awesome. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Praise God. Father, we love you and we thank you for sending Jesus and delivering us from the old man. Thank you for taking the old man away. Thank you that it's dead. It's gone. That we don't have an old man. All we've got is an unrenewed mind that he left behind. And Father, tonight we receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Father, we receive this word and I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would help us to see who we are in Christ, to understand our spirit has been totally changed and that we only have an unrenewed mind holding us back and that we will commit ourselves to renewing our mind, to being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we could prove the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Holy Spirit, we welcome your ministry in here, that you would touch people. I pray that you would burn these truths into our heart deeply, that it would be branded on us, it would be imprinted on us, that we'd never get over it. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to bring back to our remembrance the things that Jesus spoke here tonight and that, Father, we would continue in them until we see total deliverance and this resurrection life coming out into our physical world. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that right now there's some of you that you just need to be bury that old man. He's already dead. You need to bury him. You need to get it over and say, I am not going to sit here and say, I'm a drunk any longer, that I'm a failure any longer, that I'm any of these things that have happened in your past. You aren't that person just saved by grace, but you got saved by grace and now you become the righteousness of God. You need to finally let the old man go quit resurrecting it. You need to be married unto another, unto Jesus. You can't be married to Jesus and your old man at the same time. Father, I thank you. We receive this. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I just feel in my heart like there are people that are being set free